Chapter 19 is the second time that Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. And notice what it says. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Previously, Pilate said of Jesus, I find no fault in him at all, yet he commanded this severe, brutal punishment for a man he knew was innocent. It has been suggested in the past that Pilate wanted to help Jesus, hoping the mob would be satisfied with the scourging. Pilate gave the order, so Jesus was scourged according to Roman practice. The blows came from a whip with many leather strands, each having sharp pieces of bone or metal at the ends. It reduced the back to a raw flesh, and it was not unusual for a criminal to die from a scourging, even before crucifixion. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Hey, let's open our Bibles this morning to John's Gospel. We're going to be looking at chapter 19 this morning. And let's go ahead and read from there. We're just going to look at the first 16 verses today. It's quite a lengthy chapter, and there's a lot here. And so I thought we would just take a couple of Sundays in chapter 19. So let's look at it. Um, remember, Jesus has already gone through his, uh, all these trials. He's gone through six different trials. The first one, if you remember, we looked at last week in chapter 18, and he was before Annas, who was the high priest, uh, and Caiaphas, believe it or not, was also the high priest in Jerusalem. He was appointed really by a, a Roman governor, a Roman prefect, but the state of Israel really looked at Annas, the older of the two of them, as being really their high priest. But there were two high priests. So the first time Jesus is, is on trial, he goes before Annas first. And then Annas sends him to Caiaphas, who was his son-in-law. And then... Caiaphas establishes or gets together a board of the Sanhedrin, and they have a third trial, and those are what we call the religious trials of Jesus. And then he went from there, Caiaphas sent Jesus finally to Pontius Pilate, the prefect of Judea, and he goes before Pilate the first time. Pilate is uh, stalling and trying to figure out what to do with this hot potato that he's got on his hands. Ultimately, he sends him to Herod, who was in town during this time. And Herod really just wanted to see a miracle. He was just uh, looking for some entertainment from Jesus. And not knowing what to do, and having no real solid charges against Jesus, 
Herod Antipas sends Jesus back again the second time to Pilate. And so that's where we stand right now as we read 19, chapter 19 is the second time that Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. And notice what it says. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. And therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium, and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And then from uh, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover at about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Let me read that again. The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And then he delivered him to them to be crucified. And then they took Jesus and they led him away. They led him away. Interesting, interesting events happening in the life of Jesus, wouldn't you say? The very king of the universe now standing and and, and under trial against his everything that he stands for, everything that he came for. And if you'll notice, this morning I labeled the, the message, the power of the mob. The power of the mob. And I did that because when we think of a mob, oftentimes we think of, at least I did, I think of the mafia. I think of a group of men whose um, uh, organization is built upon criminal activity, built upon lies and built upon certainly uh, sinful behaviors. And the mob that was here before Pilate was very similar in a lot of ways. They were doing illegal things. We looked at that last week. They were continuing to do illegal things, certainly built upon lies and certainly built upon sinful behavior. But the mob at Jesus' trial... um, the, the, the people were made up, this mob was made up of ordinary citizens along with the Jewish religious leaders, chief priests, officers who were stirring up the crowd against Jesus. 
you'd think that it would be the religious leaders that would have been the ones pointing them, everyone, to Jesus, but rather they're trying to stir up the crowd to be against Jesus. Talk about the mob. And the mob mentality, you've seen it. (laughs) Maybe you even experienced it. Is usually a very dangerous thing. The mob is often not governed by the truth, and rather they are uh, guided by misinformation and misguided anger. Very little truth usually in a mob, and especially following the mob mentality. I remember Pastor Jeff many years ago when he was at Berkeley in California, where he went to music school back in the late 60s, early 70s. I think that was when he went. Um, he mentioned about a, a, a crowd that had gathered, and he kind of got caught up into the crowd. And I think it was him that he got, he was in the crowd, there, and, and, and he asked the people, what are you guys all angry about? And they really didn't know. They really didn't have uh, really good solid facts about what they were doing. They were just a generation that were angry and just wanting to resist. It was just the age of Aquarius, I guess. And so there was this mob mentality, not really knowing what they're for, but just angry and not really sure of their own convictions. But very often people get part of that and they get swept up in it and they don't know. But the mob at Jesus' trial was not interested in truth. They had already made up their minds concerning Christ. They would rather have a robber and a murderer exonerated and his crimes rather than Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God in the flesh. And with this mob, this religious leaders, these religious leaders who had so much power over the people, their power, their influence, they led that mob against Jesus. And they even put fear in the heart of Pilate, who uh, at that time illegally gave a guiltless man over to the mob to be crucified. A guiltless man. Why would you give a man who has not been found guilty? over to a mob that wants to kill him? When you are the one who is in power? That's like the tail wagging the dog, isn't it? But the religious leaders were manipulating not only the crowd, but they were also manipulating this Pontius Pilate. And you may think to yourself, but wait, I thought that this was the kind of thing that only happens in our day. No, it happened and it happens from the very from time immemorial. These things have been going on. It's been going on for millennia. Solomon said it best when he said this. He said, That which has been is what will be. And that which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it has been said? See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come, but those who will come after them, or by those, excuse me, who come after them. Isn't that interesting? We don't really learn. We're not really listening to the past, and even the, even the stuff that's yet future to us, there's coming a time when people will look back on the future that is ahead of us, they'll look back on that and, and scratch their head, and they'll forget all about it. I think it was uh, George uh, Santayana, He was a Spanish poet, philosopher, and a novelist. He was purported to say, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And I believe that's true. And we see that even today. In our country, we need to remember what this country was founded on because, folks, it's being eroded 
And two years ago, when COVID began, and I don't, I'm not going to spend any time on this, and you know it because we've all lived through it, never forget what happened. Because we are full steam ahead to eroding this country. And the leaders of this country are doing it. Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. This whole idea of the mob, we, we saw in uh, Ephesus... Paul, during his third missionary journey, and let me just read to you, beginning at verse 23, it says, And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. The way is Christianity, the the true walk with God, the true worshiping the true Messiah. That's what they called the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. And so not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana. Were they really concerned about Diana and the goddess Diana? Do you notice what order they put those things in? It was first their, their, their craft, their trade. Do you know that our trade's in trouble? Oh, and by the way, oh, our great god Diana is being blasphemed. What is more important? Hmm, they just kind of proved it to themselves, didn't they? But anyway, verse 27, so not only is this trait of ours, but also the goddess of Diana, that she may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath, and they cried out, saying, Great, Diana, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And in verse 29, notice, case in point. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. But then notice 32, and we'll end here, or actually almost we'll end here. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together. This is typical of the mob mentality. This was the very thing that we see before Pilate now, and he's going to try to appease this mob rather than rebuke them. But notice what this man of Ephesus does, this city clerk. He basically quiets them down, and I'm just going to paraphrase. Um, he, He quiets them down, gets a hold of this crowd, which was the entire town. We're talking hundreds and maybe even thousands of people. And then in verse 40, know what he says. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This city clerk in Ephesus, in front of hundreds, perhaps thousands of people, had more chutzpah more leadership than Pilate in front of certainly a smaller number of people. And so we looked at these trials of Jesus. We looked at, and I already mentioned these, um, these religious trials that Jesus had and then also his civil trials. And we're looking at that very last one now before Pilate. And if you could, let's go back to verse 39 of chapter 18. And we're going to pick up there because that this is really 
uh, during that time when Jesus is before Pilate. And I want to bring up this idea of Barabbas because it just shows the insanity of the mob. They would rather have a convicted felon, they would rather have a robber, a murderer, an insurrectionist delivered to them and exonerated rather than giving Jesus back to them or letting him go free. So verse 39 of chapter 18, notice what it says. Pilate speaking to the the mob, he says, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried out again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Other gospel accounts tell us that he was also a murderer and certainly an insurrectionist. So they chose, and again, it makes no sense, does it? There were no charges formally brought up to Jesus, but this guy who really was caught and and, and certainly was a murderer, certainly was a robber, him they let go. This insanity that you see here in this gospel account is no different than the insanity that we're seeing in our country today. Solomon said it right. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. And these men were dominated by the flesh. They were dominated by the flesh. Let's look at uh, verse 1 now. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now, I want to give a warning for young eyes and for tender consciences for the next few slides because I'm going to be showing you a few diagrams, uh, which may not be shocking to you, but I just want to be sensitive to those, if there's anybody with family with kids, because I'm going to show you a few things about the scourging that Jesus went through, and I'm going to read to you a handful of, or a few excerpts that may alarm you. So let's look at this. So Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and this picture that you see on the screen is basically a picture of a man who is standing uh, at a pole and they've got him tied with his arms around the pole and um, this actually came from a journal of the American Medical Association back in 1986, an article called On the Physical Death of Jesus Christ by William Edwards. It's a really fantastic article. In fact, all the graphics that I'm going to show you are from that article, which I do have if you ever want it. But it's really fantastic to get a medical understanding of what happened to Jesus. But we're talking about him being scourged at this time. And this word scourge is uh, the Greek word mastigou, which literally means to flog. And they used a flagellum or a cat of nine tails. And you'll see that on the left side of the screen, basically uh, a, leather, a leather handle, and then there were strips of leather that had different pieces of small bone, pieces of leather, uh, uh, pieces of, of uh, metal pieces. And these things were all with the intention of not only bruising the body, but also opening the body up as they would use this flagellum on the body. And Jesus was be- beaten by either one or even two lictors. Lictors are the people who are the ones doing the lashings. And they would lash in a certain direction, right down the side. And and a lot of this stuff would, um, many times people wouldn't even survive the scourging. Depending on the Roman soldiers and the executioners, they would do this often to get a confession. 
And if you didn't confess to your crime, because after being beat like that, anybody who's really guilty is going to say, you know what, I did do it. (laughs) And maybe your penalty would be less. I don't know. But they would do that to get the truth. And all the time that that's happening to Jesus, he is silent. He was silent. Kenneth Wiest, who is a, a Greek scholar, he did a word study on this uh, verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. And here's the verse. He says, who, Speaking of Jesus, who bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. And this gentleman, Kenneth Weiss, believes, and, and I believe this too, that Jesus didn't go through just the normal flogging. They really hated him because he claimed to be the king of the Jews, the, the actual Messiah. And these hardened criminal, or these hardened uh, soldiers, excuse me, were Romans. They were diehard Romans, and they were going to let him have it. And Jesus wasn't this puny man. He was a man's man. He was a carpenter. So he had, he was in shape. He wasn't, you know, um, you know, emasculated or anything like that. He he was he was a man's man, a very strong man. And so Jesus took this. He took this. In fact, Mr. Weiss had this to say concerning uh, this lashing that Christian martyrs in Smyrna about A.D. 155, were so torn by the scourges that their veins were laid bare and the inner muscles and sinews and even the bowels were exposed. That's how bad these things could be. And they would use this uh, before they would lead them to the cross. In this Journal of American Medical Association, it said this, Flogging was illegal, preliminary to every Roman execution, and only women and Roman senators or soldiers, except in cases of uh, desertion, were exempt. The usual instrument was a short whip, a flagellum, with several single or braided leather thongs of variable lengths in which small iron balls or sharp pieces of sheep bone were tied at intervals. Occasionally, stabs were also used. And for the scourging, the man was stripped of his clothing and his hands were tied to an upright post. The back and the buttocks and the legs were flogged either by two soldiers or by one who alternated positions. And the severity of the scourging depended on the disposition position of the lictors and was intended to weaken the victim to a state just short of collapse or death and after the scourging the soldiers often taunted their victim and it goes on and it says as the roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victim's back with full force the iron balls would cause deep contusions and the leather thongs and the sheep bones would cut into the skin and subcutaneous tissues and then as the flogging continued the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. And pain and blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shock. And the extent of blood loss may well have determined how long the victim would survive on the cross. The severe scourging with its intense pain and appreciable blood loss most probably left Jesus in a pre-shock state. Moreover, hematidrosis had rendered his skin particularly tender. That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.